so that's kind of where I, I try to come in and help out. Yeah, we talk about Kubernetes, but we also talk about all of the really cool capabilities that surround that ecosystem. Couchbase is an enterprise-class, multi-cloud-to-edge, NoSQL database architected on top of an open-source foundation. It's unique because it was formed by the collision of two ideas from different original projects. Couchbase combines a memory-first design built for high performance with a SQL-friendly query language called Nickel that accesses key values in JSON documents for flexibility. It's easy for developers to use, supports mobile development, and offers SDKs for Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Try out their online Nickel query tutorial to see how easy it is to get JSON data back from a select statement. Try a query at couchbase.com slash tutorial. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. So, you know, things in the world going on, but that's not what we're here to chat about. Paul, Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not going to talk about present. it. Present and accounted for. Ready to get loose. Our guest today is Sai Vanam, who's coming to us from Austin, Texas. Sai, why don't you say hello, introduce yourself to the people, and let them know what it is you do. Hey, Ben. Hey, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, Paul, as well. I am excited to be here on the Stack Overflow podcast today. If you guys don't know me, I'm a product manager at IBM, focusing on IBM Cloud. And I also like to do some stuff on YouTube as kind of a side gig. Wait, yeah, let's clarify that what immediately. Are the like, things? What, what kind of stuff yeah. on YouTube? <laughs> uh, the videos I create are actually published on the IBM Cloud YouTube, but believe it or not, they, for the most part, don't mention IBM products at all. I'm usually just talking about open source technologies and you know capabilities out there. You know, my friends caught wind of this thing that I do, and they, they now call me the Kubernetes guy. And and for that's not a bad nickname. All of them, they've never, they've never heard of the word Kubernetes. They just find it hilarious now that that that's something that I'm able to get a following off of. So it is a cool word. (laughs) Do we know what the word Kubernetes came from? I bet it, do y'all know? I bet someone on this. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the, it's the Greek ferryman or something. He goes, takes you into the land of the dead, something like that, right? Some kind of ferry, some kind of boat with knowledge maybe in it. And then the netties is the other part, but yeah. No, 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 I found it. I found it. What is Kubernetes? (laughs) Originates from the Greek meaning helmsman or pilot. Oh, okay. I, I added the death to it because I, you know I've tried to figure it out, and that's <laughs> that's how I felt, like you know, on Digital Ocean in, at midnight, trying to get my. All right, well, you know what the hell? Let's let's figure this out. What is Kubernetes? What are, what do we got? Yeah. So the logo for Kubernetes, you'll notice it. It looks like uh, kind of those massive wheels that can steer a ship. So essentially, I think the term Kubernetes comes from, you know, the, the helm of a ship, you know, you're driving the ship. So let's let's kind of break that down. Kubernetes is essentially putting you at the helm of the ship that is essentially shipping containers. Ooh. So no, we're not, you know, if we took that <laughs> analogy a little deeper, you know, we could say we're basically a shipping company. Kubernetes is kind of the helm that enables you to direct and drive these containers, figure out where they need to go and make sure that they're running. No, but it's sort of like, wouldn't it be more like the dock where you unload the containers and put anyway, this is not really no, what they this live, podcast No, they live about. in the ocean. They live in the ocean because like the ocean is the internet. 
You know what screwed exactly. me up here? So you have to move around. <laughs> and you know what screwed me up is like Docker has a hybrid whale with containers on top. And I'm like, that's not good for whales. Like whales should not have containers. Oh, right. I never even thought about mm-hmm. that. These dueling, dueling metaphors. Is it a dock with a whale or is it a boat on the I'm ocean? Upset. <laughs> really I'm upset. Really I'm really... Paul, let's dive into it, okay? okay. So, so containers, when, when they're at the dock, let's say that's like on your local machine, right? You're you're packaging things up. You're making sure everything is in there. You're doing the filing, the paperwork. And I say, all right, it's time to go to production. We've got to ship this thing. My dock, let's say it's in you know Miami, and my customer lives in you know London. We've got to get this container to my customer. So you put it on the ship. And the ship takes care of the rest, right? The ship will deliver it to the customer in the container in the same format that, that you had it when you put it on uh, in that container in a dock. So, you know, Docker and container technology, that's your laptop. You're shipping containers. You're putting things into a box. Kubernetes handles it once it's at sea on the internet. That's great. Okay. And so the, the open source tools that you're talking about, are you talking about Kubernetes itself or things that you can use with Kubernetes? What kind of things end up on your YouTube? Is there anything that I can double click on called Kubernetes? Like, what is Kubernetes? Yeah, so at the end of the day, I'd say Kubernetes kind of spawned this massive ecosystem of, of tools and capabilities. You know, Kubernetes is at the core of it. I you know the actual open source foundation is called Cloud Native Computing Foundation, actually stemmed from the Linux Foundation. And, and you know, Kubernetes really drove this whole cloud native side of it. And, and the ecosystem, it's actually massive. If you go to cncf.io, they have this view called the landscape. And I'm pretty sure they've got something like 500 to 1,000 open source projects in that landscape. And all of these things are things that support Kubernetes. So that's kind of where I, I try to come in and help out. Yeah, we talk about Kubernetes, but we also talk about all of the really cool capabilities that surround that ecosystem like logging, monitoring, you know, just just orchestration, service meshing. There's just a lot of things in that field. You know, I'm going to change tone for one sec because it's just worth noting that landscape graphic is amazing. And it was a a pet project of someone um, who worked with the uh, foundation named Dan Cohn, who we just lost. I just lost him to colon cancer and and just wanted to say out loud that he's a good dude and uh, he did a lot of great work for open source. And so just hearing that right now today, just finding out about it, it's it's worth saying out loud that uh, we're thinking of him and his family. Thanks, Paul. Sai, I know we had chatted a little bit before you came on and we're on the topic of open source now. So talk to us a little bit about IBM and Red Hat, what this tie up means, you know, the open source and people's suspicions about how it's going. Can you say a little bit on that topic? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, when when IBM first acquired Red Hat, first off, even just the, the numbers alone, $34 billion, it's it's an insane acquisition to have happened. And the amount of work that went into making, making that go through smoothly, I think within IBM, we were kind of on, you know, needle's edge just to make sure that no one did anything wrong to me- kind of mess that up. But at the end of the day, the acquisition went through. And I'll say the, from the IBM side, we were very, very excited from the Red Hat side. You know, I could sense that there was some, you know, apprehension. But at the same time, you know, when we started working with them closely and and kind of started, you know, just having those kind of interlocks with them, we started to see that our values were really aligned. And and I think now as a postmortem, almost like more than a year after, we're starting to see that that this integration and and the kind of the work that we've been able to do with Red Hat it's not like we're cannibalizing each other's business. It's really we're propping each other up. It's 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 a it's a system where I think 
if I had to say one thing about what IBM is really good at, it's running mission critical software, right? It's a majority of the banks and like, you know, all of the the financial services and, and transactions that happen in the world, a majority of those running on IBM mainframes. And we brought that same kind of idea into our software and what we do in the cloud. So that's what IBM's good at. And, you know, the first thing people think of when you say Red Hat is open source and taking open source for the enterprise. So you put those two things together, you actually get a pretty, pretty happy marriage. That's great. So you got 34 billion, what? 34 billion lines of code, 34 billion dollars, open source projects. <laughs> Both, actually. It turns out that it's just It's just a dollar per for... line of code is how they evaluate it. Yeah. 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 You, you have to weigh the code out, actually. You put it on a scale first. What is that marriage, right? So it's like, you know, Red Hat has been around for a long time, and it's it's always been the most enterprise-friendly of the, the Linuxes. So that part makes sense to me, but, you know, I think of IBM, I think I think of consulting. I think of mainframes. I think of um, Watson. I think of Watson. I definitely do. I think of Jeopardy. <laughs> and then I think of Linux. I think of Fedora, and it runs in the cloud, and it's, it's Linux. And, and I think of Red Hat, and I think of, uh, you know, they do a lot with Java. So, like, put those worlds together. What do you get? Is it Red Hat on mainframes, or what's the what's happening? It's a lot of different things, but I kind of already let it slip a little bit on what that is. It's it's OpenShift, and and it's OpenShift on IBM Cloud, and and it's not only that, but it's OpenShift on on kind of form factors that IBM supports. So you know, let's take a step back. You know, talk about what exactly OpenShift is. I think their tagline is it's Kubernetes for the enterprise, and and, the, and there's just so much in that simple phrase. You know, at the end of the day, Kubernetes is an open source project. If you look at their releases, they're coming out with new versions every week. They've got uh, a beta version, an alpha version, a production version. You know, the community has its own set of priorities and what they're trying to do with Kubernetes. And then you have companies that are trying to use this thing and they're like, oh crap, not only do I have to worry about Kubernetes, but this ecosystem of a thousand tools in the landscape that, that need to kind of go with it. How do I do this? How do I make that decision? That's what Red Hat is, you know, really good at with the OpenShift side of the puzzle with open source. And then you mentioned a few of these things for what IBM's good at. It's at the end of the day, it's security, it's mission critical workloads, but it's it's support. You know, we're gonna handhold you along the way in your kind of growth as a company in using things like OpenShift and Kubernetes and container-based technologies. So so that's that happy marriage. It's it's support, it's enterprise grade, it's security coming from IBM, and then Red Hat, who's the second largest contributor to this Kubernetes open source project. And, and this open shift thing that they've created that lets people learn and use Kubernetes more easily. That's great. So if I'm an average, uh, OpenShift specifically, I'm an average developer working at a company. We have 1,200 engineers. Sarah, you're not average in it. No, <laughs> well, thanks. I, I won't I'm, hear it. I won't hear it. All right. I'm in the top 10% of a 1,200-person team. <laughs> um, and I want to make a new analytics platform for a tool is the way this makes my life easier is I can just spin up something quickly and throw it in our cloud rather than, you know, like reaching out to our SRE team, provisioning a new server, you know, all those things. Is that what it looks like oh, for man, me? And you as... just pissed off the SRE team. Like this has been one of the big problems we have in this organization. Yeah, it's so annoying. We don't, they don't care about my <laughs> analytics platform, no matter how much I write about it. Yeah, but wait, hold on. Because to Sarah's point, right? Like we are, we're a couple levels of abstraction up. So how are we using this thing? Yeah, so so I'll, I'll kind of give you an idea because when I first started learning Kubernetes like four or five years ago and it was this brand new thing, 
I'm going to tell you the truth. It took me about a week to figure out how to deploy something mm-hmm. and actually be able to access it. Because if I just have to lift, list off off my head the things that you need to learn and the documents you have to go through, the docs, oh my God, they're great, but you have to go through so many to do this. You got to first dockerize an app. You got to put it in a registry. You got to create a deployment. Then you got to create a service. I can go on and on. Regardless, the point is you have to learn how to do all these things just to deploy an app and learn how to access it. That's the Kubernetes side of the puzzle. OpenShift recognized that and they said, okay, this is something every user is doing on Kubernetes. Why is no one making this easier? Well, from the community perspective, you know, you look at the docs for Kubernetes, it even says this was never built to be a developer platform. It was never built to be a platform as a service. Kubernetes provides the building blocks for a platform as a service to succeed. So that being said, OpenShift did that. It took Kubernetes, the building blocks, and then made an actual platform as a service. So for your perspective or and your kind of goal here, Sarah, you're trying to deploy an analytics platform. You have that know-how. You know what you want, but at the same time, you don't want to go you know, tap your SRE team and all your Kubernetes experts to figure out how to do this thing. OpenShift is a great place to start. You can deploy an enterprise-grade, highly available you know, analytics platform and it's going to be easier to do than if you're working with pure Kubernetes. Is OpenShift itself open source? Yes. So OpenShift itself is open source. The open source distribution of it, it's, it's called OKD, which is kind of where it's called Origin Kubernetes Distribution. But it should tell you, you know, it literally has the term Kubernetes distribution in the name. It's, it's just the open source version of it developed by Red Hat. And then OpenShift is kind of your licensed, supported model that comes from Red Hat and, and kind of, you know, has all of the enterprise-grade solutions and support associated with it. And, you know, this is just the Kubernetes layer. Something we haven't talked about yet was, you know, all of those ecosystem solutions. You know, if you look at a five to a thousand open source projects in the Kubernetes world, and then what Red Hat has done is actually decided, put forward an opinion and said, this one is the one that you do for logging. This one is the one you do for service meshing. And then it creates a supported enterprise solution for that that works on top of OpenShift. That's part of the magic of what they're doing. All right, so let's say I know what Docker is, and I want to stand up this custom analytics container that I, I'm into, and I want to configure it. I'm ready to sort of do all that. And I need to sort of hack around and, and learn my way around this world. Where should I start? The first place to start is, you know, what is this thing you're actually trying to deploy? You, you've got to containerize. You know that you want to run it. You know, my go-to resource for anyone who's trying to learn how to deploy something on OpenShift is this awesome thing on learn.openshift.com. It's Katakota-based. That means you click a button and it spins up an OpenShift environment for you, completely free to use. You get an OpenShift environment, and then it guides you through, hey, this is how you make a deployment. This is how you expose it. This is how you set up logging. You know, it, it walks you through those things. And it's a great way to get started with Kubernetes uh, and, and learning OpenShift. Katakota is Starts with a K. O'Reilly, yeah, right? okay, there we go. I'm yeah. learning a lot of new words today. Yeah. <laughs> Katakota is pretty cool. I got pitched on the show today. They were like, well, we don't do the events anymore, but we still teach a lot of people. It's just, you know, spin it up on the web. So buy the books and uh, do the Katakota. I was like, no. Yeah. In this day and age, when, when we can't actually go and, and travel to events and have these in-person workshops, which was part of my actual day, day job is going to conferences and doing workshops, which was awesome, by the way. Now we have to find a new way to do this. And it's it's publishing digital resources and digital workshops and so companies like Katakota, I think, you know, it's it's kind of like Zoom. They, they found this awesome thing that they were already doing, but is now even more important 
to really kind of execute properly. Yeah. I, I think what Katakoda is doing and then some of the stuff we're doing in that space and IBM as well with these digital learning experiences, which, you know, I'll be completely honest, we got the inspiration from companies like Katakoda. I think this is really crucial in this day and age. So I, I just was finishing up a piece on developer evangelism and talking to lots of folks from different companies. And they were all sort of, yeah, they were like, we chose to move into this area from being a regular developer because it's a little bit more social plus the travel. And I would event, I, I did a summer camp event once and now they're all just like, oh, I'm at home doing webinars. Bring my life, bring my DevEv life back. The DevEv lifestyle is quite luxurious if you can uh, get it right. Oh, I see. So I, yeah. I can literally go right here and click developing on OpenShift by OpenShift here in Katakota. This isn't, <laughs> no, but I mean, if you're going to do evangelism, it's the right way to do it. Like here's a, here, come yeah. learn the technology. It's all open source. Sign up with Twitter and, and go learn. I mean, that is very helpful. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that beats the hell out of readme.md. <laughs> Every single time someone goes through one of these uh, tutorials <laughs> and learns something, a de developer advocate somewhere cries, right? Like right. It's, it's their job has essentially been automated by some, you know, lab workshop online. Now, <laughs> it's going to come for everybody. It's come for all. It's come for me like 12 yeah, times in my career. That's fine. <laughs> Robots, take my job. That's it. Like, robot, I love you. Please, please let me keep my family. And the robot right. says, well, you could come over here. You know, it's a... <laughs> yeah. Chip into the uh, universal income That's fund. right. And I will be good. We'll be good. Take us back a little bit before you were a DevEv. You said that you started out in a slightly different place, right? You were doing web development, web apps and Java development. Like, when, where did you first land before you were doing Kubernetes? Yeah, sure. And Paul, you mentioned this. One of the things you thought about IBM first was that, you know, Java and they do a lot of stuff with Java. And, you know, back in the early 2000s, everyone was doing stuff on Java and J2E platforms. And, you know, there was Tomcat, which is open source, but then there's WebSphere application server, which was mm -hmm. this big IBM monolithic platform that all these companies were running Java-based apps on. And, and that's where I started my career at IBM about seven years ago, was working in, in some cubicles developing on uh, WebSphere application server. You know, if I had to give it an analogy, it's like when you start a, a new video game, right? Like a new RPG or something, you always start with, you're killing the slimes, Right, you're you're out there killing like the level one slimes, and and it's it's hey, you tedious. Gotta, you got to grind to get armor. That's just what. Have it you ever is. played Slime yeah. Rancher? It's so fun. P.S. Okay, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> it, it's tedious and it's easy to do, but you're really just starting your adventure. And if you really wanted to, you could sit there and kill those slimes forever and you're gonna get armor you're gonna level up eventually and that's what it kind of felt like there's a magical moment at ibm where a talking cat gives you a quest yeah and that, that quest for you was was open shift exactly exactly but, but a few more steps i think when in any business you're gonna get quests but you're gonna get like three different quests and if you pick one you can't do the other ones because you right, don't have time right. to do everything right and so I chose this quest line and it basically began with, there was an internal hackathon at IBM and an internal hackathon at IBM is not small by any means. IBM's got like 400,000 people in it. Regardless, this was in the cloud sector. So, you know, maybe like 10,000 people. Regardless, we ended up winning that hackathon and, and that enabled me to get, to start working with the startup that IBM was looking at acquiring. Mm. 
that basically gave me a ticket to San Francisco, right? It teleported me. The, the quest gave me the ability to go to this new city. You know, you've just described the Enterprise Hunger Games. Like, we are, we, we, <laughs> I know nothing, you know, I just, I mean, I'm seeing you with, like, you've got a couple fingers up and you're doing a little whistle. And anyway, all right, so keep going. You get to go to San Francisco or Panem, as they call it in the books. <laughs> and the great thing about being in San Francisco, I mean, here's the rough thing is you're working with, you're seeing and working with just crazy smart people everywhere, right? But the thing is, you get to go to really cool startups and conferences. They're just everywhere. They're happening all the time. And so that's when I started to really be able to flex these social muscles. It's, oh, hey, I don't have to just write code all day. I can go talk about it. And it feels good. Like you get a lot of, you know, happy, happy feelings and people just being happy to work with you. And Overall, it's great for your serotonin, right? Mm -hmm. It makes you feel good about what you're doing in the world. (laughs) And that's when I was like, hey, maybe I should go into developer advocacy. And so uh, starting from there, I think I actually ended up just moving to Austin because San Francisco was just incredibly expensive. Yeah, that's the next step in the journey, actually. It's San Francisco, Austin. (laughs) It's it's Austin, specifically. Yeah, Yeah. that's a big part of it. And then a suburb, possibly, (laughs) or maybe Chicago. There you go. Well, that that's that's my uh, quest line and where it's led me so far. And and I think you know that kind of led me into what I'm doing today. And we kind of hinted about it in the beginning. It's it's these YouTube videos that I've been doing, and we've gotten this interesting format of a glass screen that you can write on with a marker. And basically, it it, it it's like this visual and auditory learning method. And I think the the greatest thing about it is the format is something that people just can't get over. They think I'm writing backwards. They think they think I'm doing some crazy magic, but it's just a simple post-production trick. That's great. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's Oh, I see. Cool. Oh, okay. I w- I'm watching you right now as we do this because like, computers <laughs> are, I have a 24-core machine. I can record a podcast and watch you. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. This does look really cool. You're in, a, in a, hu- a, a black space and you're writing on a whiteboard with multicolored markers and it's all lit up. And it, it really does look... And this is this is high praise. It's like the 1980s version of the future. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the Tron of remote yeah. learning. It's happening now. Yeah, you think you know whiteboards, but wait till I show you a light board. Light you know? it's, it's pretty crazy. Do, do you have <laughs> a whole setup at home? What's it like? I do, actually. So with the travel restrictions, so we had a studio in Austin. I'd go in. I'd be fine with it. It, it had, a, had a nice work-life balance, right? Now, my, my office has essentially been turned into an IBM studio. They, they shipped me the camera, the equipment. Everything is now set up like uh, right behind me right now, actually. Uh, tons of LED lights. And it's, it's been a wild ride. But now I've got the whole equipment in my room. So I, I might just start making my own YouTube videos at this point. <laughs> this is a really fun way to present. I really like this. You yeah. know, there is also... I'm going to nerd out for one sec. IBM created its own font family, which is something you can do when you're a giant megacorp. Did they? What is it called? It's called Plex. Oh, oh let me check it out. Oh, Sarah. It's a delight. <laughs> no, I love it. I haven't loved a font like this. Like all of the ambiguity and complexity I feel about, you know, legacy capitalist organizations just goes right out the window when I see Plex. And it's like <laughs> the mono is good. The serif is good. It's all the right weights. It's on GitHub. You can just go to, t- it's got a very good coding font. Mm, I'm in it right now. I changed it to my default. Uh, font on my Ubuntu Linux, sorry, but the um, <laughs> but IBM just like I'm seeing that that brand sort of spread through all the IBM properties, and it really is just a hell of a font family. That and there's also Carbon, the component now uh, component framework that IBM uses is really good to steal from too. It's fantastic. 
Anyway, that's why we're here to talk about the Plex family of funds. <laughs> Thank you, Cy, for, for giving me an excuse. No, yeah. Cy, tell us uh, a little bit about where we can find you online. Yeah, sure thing. So if you're if you're looking for, you know, some of the, the videos that we reference or, you know, lightboard content, you know, number one, instead of looking for me, maybe just YouTube, any cloud native related topic that that you're looking to learn more about, whether it's containerization, Kubernetes, Terraform, whatever it might be. First, start with that. You know, if you don't find one of my videos and you and you still want to look for one of my lightboard YouTube videos, just go to youtube.com slash IBM Cloud. Uh, I know that initially might scare you guys if you're not looking to learn anything about IBM Cloud, but believe me, I'm the one that's that's choosing what content we publish uh, as far as the lightboard format goes, and I don't let anyone tell me to to publish videos on products. So it's all technology focused. It's all you know open source stuff, and and I, and I do try to make sure that the audience is is not alienated, getting tricked into learning something about you know IBM Cloud. So uh, I, I do highly recommend you guys check that out if you're lear- looking to learn more about cloud native technologies. All right, y'all. I'm going to read a lifeboat. Paul and Sarah will say our goodbyes, and then we'll call it a day. Sounds good. Go for it. Sounds good. All right. Getting this as undefined when using the arrow function awarded 21 hours ago to Alex. So thank you, Alex, for hopping in here and is winning our lifeboat badge of the week. Uh, I'm Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. And you can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And I'm Sarah Chips, the director of community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me on GitHub as Sarah Joe. I am Paul Ford, friend of Stack Overflow. You can uh, check out my company, postlight.com. And I'm Cy Venom. I'm a product manager at IBM. And you can find me on Twitter at BirdSciView. That's Bird, S-A-I, View. Oh, great. Mm. That is fantastic. Fantastic.